0: All right. so this morning we're going to continue a pace with a little bit of a look at what it is that we as church want to live, want to live into, want to be part of, want to express with our lives. And in a minute I'm going to use a familiar translation of the Bible to just do a quick Bible study on Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. But before I get into that kind of study part of it, I need to read the text, and to read the text, I'm going to read from the message version of the New Testament, a version that we don't often read here, but we often commend it because of its kind of color and insight and uh, the kind of way in which it creates a pace in what it is that we read. So I'm going to read to you from John chapter 4 and verse 4, and it's quite a long piece, So kids, as you're listening, try to remember that this is a situation where Jesus is in an ancient setting. He's by a well where people are coming to draw water. There's no one around, and Jesus comes and sits down by the well, and a lady comes, and they begin a conversation. Jesus is on his way to his home in Galilee, and it says this, to get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came to Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? The disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman? for a drink. Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I'd give you fresh living water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep, so how are you going to get at this living water? Are you better than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and livestock, and passed it down to us. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. He said, Go call your husband, and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're now living with isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshipped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming. It has in fact come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for. Those are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I know that, I know that, I I, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming when he arrives. We'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking to that kind of woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took a hint and left in a confusion. She left her water pot back in the village. She told the people, come and see the man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think he could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. Isn't that cool? I love that version it 's great so let's uh, let's dig a little bit deeper because um, it's really important to understand what it is that Jesus is saying here: what it is that we're doing as we look at this story, this conversation. and there are two things that we're called to do as we read the Bible, especially when we read the Bible in this particular kind of way, where Jesus is talking to another person about the issues that really fundamentally affect their lives. We're supposed to imitate Jesus and identify with the woman. So it's about imitation and identification. It's about imitating who Jesus is, how Jesus functions, and identifying with the woman in our understanding of who we are and what our needs are in the presence of Jesus. Now, John is, of course, the writer of this text, and he's the one who is giving us an insight into who Jesus really is. At the beginning of the gospel, you'll remember, in chapter 1, verse 14, there are some very important introductory verses that explain to us who Jesus is And how it is that we should receive him. Look what it says. It refers to Jesus as the word, the means by which God is communicating himself to the world. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we have received grace upon grace. From the fullness, we've received grace upon grace. So John's writing this. He says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us full of grace and truth. So we would expect that Jesus here is revealed as the Word, become flesh, living among us. And look what Jesus says at the very beginning here in in, um, in verse 6. It says, Jesus, that's the Word, worn out by the trip, sat down. It was about noon. So that's what the message version says. What does it say in the version that we normally use on a Sunday? It says this, Jesus, the word, tired as he was from the journey, he really is like us, he's a human being, he's become flesh, sat down by the well. He made his dwelling among us. He came to identify with us. He came to connect with us. Now, if you live in the ancient world, or frankly, if you go to the Near East today, and you sit down by a well, you're inviting conversation. The place that people spend their time together, the place where people interact with one another, the place where people engage in lengthy conversation is the well. In fact, there are three places where different kinds of conversation take place. There's the marketplace, there's the gate of the city, and there's the well. The well, being the place where you have to go every day, is a place where you kind of shoot the breeze, you talk about the game, you whatever it is. Jesus is coming to an entirely alien environment for a Jew. You never, ever went to Samaria. You never, ever went to a Samaritan town. And you never, ever invited conversation with people who were considered not just sinful, but utterly rebellious and repellent. Repellent in every possible way. Think of the most repellent person. That's what a Samaritan's like. And Jesus goes and invites conversation. So Jesus, the word of God, has become flesh. He is tired. He's he's vulnerable. He's weak. He's in need. Think the Son of God. The Son of God with all of his majesty and glory. As Paul says, does not consider all of that to be held on to, but takes the role of a servant and becomes human and lives among us, vulnerable. Vulnerable and exposed and in need. Now remember, we're, we're wanting to imitate Jesus. We're wanting to see Jesus as our model, as our mentor, as our master we want to imitate his life. And so as we engage with the world, we're not engaging with the world with all of our defenses up. We're not engaging with the world in a strong position. We're engaging with the world with a recognition that we're weak and vulnerable and in need. And it's in that posture that we invite conversation. It's in that posture that we invite relationship. It's in that posture that we share The great things that God has done, because that's what Jesus is about to do. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. How do we see it? Well, the thing that Jesus wants to do for this woman is to give her something. Grace means giving, grace means a generous, abundant, giving heart. Jesus wants to give the woman something. He says, give me a drink because he's thirsty, he's in need, he's vulnerable, he's he's weak. He's a human being like you and me. The woman has the conversation with him. How come you're asking me for this? We'll we'll talk about this in a minute. How come you're asking me, you're a Jew and I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan. I mean, what is this? And then he says, I'm asking you for a drink, but if you ask me, I could give you a lot more. His posture is not simply to receive. His posture is to give, and to give abundantly. So he gives grace, and he wants to give grace, and he's longing to give more of himself to another person. But he also gives truth. I have a little bit of a conversation. She realizes that some things are kind of interesting about what he says, and, and then he says, call your husband. So he wants to give grace, but he also wants to function in truth. Go call your husband. Well, yeah, I don't have a husband. You're right. You don't have a husband. You have five men who've operated in that category, and the current guy that you've got isn't your husband. I see you're a prophet. Yeah, probably. But from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Who's the first follower of Jesus amongst the Samaritans? Who's the first evangelist amongst the Samaritans? Who's the first missionary amongst the Samaritans? From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. He wants to give more grace. He wants to offer more than we could ever imagine. Well, what would disqualify me from receiving Nothing, because the decision to give is not yours. The decision to give is Jesus. Well, what would disqualify me? Would, would, my, would my sinful life disqualify me? No. This woman is living a sinful life, but she's not disqualified. She's the first follower, the first evangelist, the first missionary. Come and see. Come and see. Come and listen. Come and Come and hear. Jesus does not disqualify her. Almost everybody else who she met would disqualify her, including all of us. Let's just be honest about it. There's no way that she would qualify as a follower, an evangelist, a missionary. Imagine imagine that conversation with the mission board. And she is not disqualified by Jesus. Because from his grace, we have received what? Grace upon? So from his grace, we've received what? Upon? Wow. Turn to your neighbor. From his grace, we've received grace upon grace. Say it. Go on. Go on. Say it. Now, the thing that I want you to say next is this. That means you're not disqualified. Go on, say it to them. Are you serious? Are you serious? It's incredible. We're not disqualified. We're qualified. Why? Because Jesus qualifies us. Who, is, who does it depend on? Jesus. Does it depend on us? No. Does it depend on our good life? No. Does it depend on all of our credentials? No, because they're dust and ashes in comparison with what God can give. So this is an amazing, amazing thing. And what we're called to do is to imitate Jesus. Just think about this. Imitate Jesus. Come with vulnerability and weakness. Offer grace and truth. And just so that people are not left with the truth that would crush them, remember that from the grace that you've received, you give grace upon grace. So what about the woman? Well, the woman is a fascinating character. I don't know whether you've seen the TV series or the streaming service uh, called The Chosen, but um, perhaps my favorite episode is the conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. Beautifully conceived, beautifully acted, beautifully scripted and acted. It's just sensational. And um, I'd recommend anyone to watch it. So how do we identify with this woman? How do we understand ourselves in the shoes of this woman so that we can see the world from her perspective? Because when you're reading the Bible in this way, we're supposed to imitate Jesus and identify with the people that Jesus is connecting with. So the woman's coming to draw water. She's coming At the middle of the day, nobody draws water at the middle of the day. The writers tell us it's noon. That's the last moment. Now, even here in Ohio, if you had the opportunity to not go out at noon to do yard work. Yeah? I mean, you're going to do it really early morning, or you're going to do it really, really late in the afternoon. But you're never going to do it in the middle of the day. If you've got options... You see, this lady doesn't have options because she's been shunned by society. Not only has she been disqualified as a worshipper of God, she's been disqualified as an active member of the community. She's been separated. And so she has to go at noon. And, of course, she's expecting nobody to be there. That's the whole idea. And who does she meet? The Son of God. How about that? How about that? And here's her life. You see, her life is defined by scarcity and need. Look at the way that she talks to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus says, um, would you give me a drink? And first of all, she's shocked that anybody would talk to her. And then she realizes that, that Jesus is a Jew. He's, he's not dressed in the white mantle of a Samaritan. He's dressed in the clothes of a traditional Jew. he's a man. Men don't talk to women in public places. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. There's no way that this would normally be happening. You're asking me for a drink. You're a Jewish man and I'm a female Samaritan. What, what, What is going on? Now from her perspective, She's coming to get water that she needs for her life. Water is a scarce resource. This is the Middle East. This is a place where the sun defines your movement. And if she had any other option, she certainly wouldn't be coming out when the sun is at its fullest. So here she is out in the midday sun. She's gathering the water. But water is a scarce resource. It's it's the thing that causes you to be able to cling to life in the midst of this barren Environment. And then Jesus says, I've got unlimited resources for you. An unlimited supply of the thing that you think is scarce. And she's like, What? You have an unlimited supply. I mean, I I I don't you haven't got a bucket, you haven't got a rope, you I mean, what, what are we talking about? Obviously, there's a metaphor involved. She's an she's a intelligent woman who, obviously, by the way that she engages with Jesus, is a person committed to learning and discovery and exploration because she doesn't kind of just put the bone down, does she? She wants to keep on gnawing on it, finding out what's going on here. So we can kind of identify with her, can't we? And we can, we can begin to see our world from her perspective. Most of us are not thinking about the scarcity of water. Now, if you're a gardener, maybe. But most of us are not really thinking about the scarcity of water. If you live in Lebanon today, not far away from where Jesus met this woman, and your nation is water bankrupt, then you'd be thinking about water today. If you live in Iran, you'd be thinking about water today because the nation's water bankrupt and the foolishness of the engineers who built the reservoirs that evaporated all the water have meant that the nation is in a terrible strait. But generally, we're not thinking about the scarcity of water. We're thinking about things like the scarcity of time. Do you remember time? That thing that you had too much of just a little while ago when you were sitting at home wondering what else to do other than just have another beer, watch another TV show. Do you remember that? When all of the time frames were deconstructed and left as a pile on the floor. And you were just stuck in, and you weren't able to do the things that you normally did. And now, Maybe you're a family, and the children are going back to school, and you have to reconstruct a world in which time works. And you don't even know how to have breakfast. Because breakfast, you've got to have all of that done before they go to school. And then they've got to get on the bus. And then we've got to think about how to get them in the evening. And I mean, like, we've just got to reinvent life. And I talk to parents and they're saying, do you know how stressful it is having to reconstruct your whole world? Time is the scarce resource. And not just for us. I was reading uh, in Forbes the other day. I don't always read Forbes. But I was reading in Forbes the other day that, um, that they've done a survey of schools. Now, on average, there's 180 days of school in the year. How many interruptions in an average day, or let's, let's do it like this, in the 180 days, if you added up all of the interruptions, you know, the announcements and the, the things over the tannoy and, you know, make sure you do this and don't hit Johnny next to you and all that kind of thing, how many announcements do you think children have to deal with in an average year of 180 days? How many? Twenty. How many? Twenty thousand. Um, Five thousand. Yeah. How many? These are very extraordinary numbers you're offering me about right now, by the way. It's 180 days. If 20,000, there won't be much else to go on with it. Yeah, go on. You tell me. One announcement a day, so there'd be 180. Yeah, that's good. Well, actually, actually, on average, on average, there are 2,000 interruptions in a year, which means that the average child misses between 10 and 20 days of school just by announcements, which means that they would be officially truant. And the police would be knocking at the door of that home. Isn't that amazing? If it was 20,000, they'd be assuming they lived in another country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so 2,000 interruptions. So, even children of this sense that time is scarce, it just seems as though it's impossible. My schedule, I looked at it the other day and I nearly passed out. I just said, oh, You must be joking. I can't get all that done in one day. What are you talking about? But this is what I've learned over the many years of my life. This is what I've learned. That time springs from eternity. And eternity is endless. God can cause his eternity to touch my time so that I get done way more than I would ever imagine. In fact, I get to the end of some days and I go, I don't even know how that's possible. How did all that happen? But it's because you can have a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality. You can have a mentality that's defined by by the things around you, by the temporal, physical things around you, or you can be defined by... The spiritual and the eternal. In his conversation with the woman he wants the woman to focus on the spiritual. He wants her to understand that worship is a spiritual activity, a spiritual activity that you that you engage with with honesty because God is spiritual and eternal and from that eternity, all things spring. Time comes from eternity. You've got enough time if you know God. Because he makes time. It's a different way of thinking, isn't it? What about power? What about, what about enough capacity, energy? Those poor mothers at the end of the day, I, I hear from... Various different members of the congregation that are you know, just like worn out. We've hardly started the school year, and look at it. It's just too much. And you hear from young people in the, in the younger generations who, who look at the world, and they say, the world needs changing, but I don't have enough power to change it. And I keep on hearing that I'm supposed to be the change agent, but I don't have enough power. And so the most popular video games and the most popular TV shows are games and shows about superheroes who, though broken and frail, have a special power. Because we'd all long for that. And then more disturbingly, you hear that some of the most popular people on TikTok and on Insta Stories, on Instagram are witches who show you remedies for particular situations and show you how to engage with the powers of darkness. The single largest growth in spiritual things online right now is witchcraft. According to the BBC Global News, not some crazy conspiracy website somewhere, Isn't that interesting? Why? Because there's not enough power to go around. We feel vulnerable and afraid. We feel weak. We feel as though we are soft-bodied people in a very hard world. But you see, our capacity does not spring From the world's resources, our capacity springs from the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and has more power than the world has ever conceived of. That power is not something that you can simply access. That power is resident within you if you're a follower of Jesus. How about that? That power, the power that people long for, the power that people imagine, the power that people fantasize about, that power plus multiple times more lives within your life. You have the power. Because of this reality, Paul says, I can do how many things? Through who? Me? Through Christ, who strengthens me. Let's try it again. I can do through who strengthens me. You see, we can identify with the woman because we know that life is full of scarcity. And every day of our life, we're confronted with need. And we're confronted with our incapacity, our inability. Every day, we're conscious of what it is that we need rather than what it is that God has available for us. But she began to get it. She began to get it. She decided that the things that would make her feel afraid, the shunning of her neighbors, the things that would make her feel afraid, the fact that she may be more and more excluded so that she wouldn't even be able to go to the well ever, the things that would frighten her and cause her to be afraid every night would not stop her from discovering more about Jesus. And they would not stop her from speaking about what it was that she'd heard. Whatever it was, however much fear, however much need, however much scarcity there was in the world, it would not silence her. Isn't that wonderful? And so here we have a simple lesson about imitation and identification. We imitate Jesus in his vulnerability. We imitate Jesus in his grace and his truth. We imitate Jesus in that from the fullness that he had access to, he gave grace upon grace. And we identify with the woman in realizing that our life looked at from human eyes is a life that's defined by scarcity. But if we can only see our world from the world that Jesus sees, if only in our scarcity, in our need, in our fear, we could see the world from the place that Jesus sits, everything would change. And in our need, and in our lostness, and in our sin, and in our shame, and in our guilt and fear, we're not disqualified from receiving any of it. How about that? We're not disqualified. Because He qualifies us. Not us. He qualifies. He says, you know what? I know that you're disqualified. So I'm going to make sure that everything that's necessary to qualify you for this abundant life, I'm going to make it available to you. So time this week takes on a different feel. Money this week takes on a different feel. The resources of energy take on a different feel. The resources of relationship take on a different feel this week because there is a spring welling up from and to eternal life. Now, friends do you want to identify with jesus to make that the message of your life do you want to identify with jesus to make that the story the testimony of your life do you want to do you want to imitate him in the way that he shares that message? Do you want to imitate him in the way that he postures himself in relation to the world, a world that is so lost and so, and so completely abandoned and yet is not disqualified from grace upon grace? Do you want to imitate Jesus in that way? And do you want to find that in the place of scarcity you discover abundance. So there's two questions there. And as we come to the end of our time and we pray together, I'd invite you to stand with me in those two categories. Either this week you're standing because you want to imitate Jesus in the life that says, in my vulnerability... I'm going to just be there as a person of grace and truth. And from the fullness of the grace I've received, I'm gonna give grace upon grace. And you're gonna identify with the woman in saying, I know that I need lots of things, but I'm beginning to believe that Jesus is the answer. If any of those things are things with which you connect today, please stand and I'll pray with you. Jesus, we know that we're not even close to being able to measure up to you left to our own devices. But Lord, you call us to follow you, which means imitate you. And so Lord, we want to imitate you in being prepared to reveal our weaknesses. We want to imitate you in being prepared to share grace and truth with the people around us. And we want to imitate you, Lord, in living a life that doesn't disqualify anyone from receiving grace upon grace. And Lord, today we want to say that in imitating you, we identify with the woman. And we say, Lord, so often our life is defined by what we don't have, rather than what you have. Our life is defined By the container of our small bucket rather than the overflowing supply of your spring of living water. And Lord, when the bucket is empty, we pray that we would not look for just another way to fill the bucket. But take your invitation to find the spring. Give us the spring of water this week, Lord, for resources, for finances, for time, for energy. Lord, may it be that we begin to live this way so that our lives become a beacon of light in a lost world. We pray it all in the name of Jesus and for his glory and all God's people say. Now, we always want to Pray with folks and stand with them in whatever it is that they feel. And it may be that as you've been listening to these things about scarcity, you've been thinking, I need someone to pray with me about healing. I need someone to pray with me about issues of salvation. I need someone to pray with me about some spiritual breakthrough that I need to make in my life. I need someone to pray with me and stand with me as I agree with Jesus that he's got everything I need to see everything that he wants done in my life happen. If you're in any of those places, then during the singing of this last song, which is a beautiful and reflective song on the love of God, then just come and the prayer team will be recruiting members of the congregation to come and pray with you. But don't hold back. It would be foolish to hold back when the spring of life is available and maybe this is the moment this is the moment when you begin to switch the gears over from scarcity to abundance as you say you know what I'm gonna go and access some of that abundance and I'm gonna get sisters and brothers to pray with me to help me do that so if that's you today something for you for the family healing restoration breakthrough whatever it is you come on down and we'll pray